You're listening to the Quality of Love Podcast, your home for all things love, relationship, and mental health. Hosted by nationally certified life and relationship coach, Tyrone Dixon. Sit back, relax, and get tips on creating the life you deserve without wasting any more time. Welcome to the Quality of Love Podcast. I am your host, Tyrone Dixon, naturally certified life and relationship coach, husband, father to two beautiful princesses, and CEO and founder of Orosu Concrete Consulting. Thank you guys for taking the time out to listen in with us tonight. We really appreciate it. You guys seen the title of the show, so you already know we're back with our question and answer sessions and episodes. I'm not going to lie, guys. I'm really excited to be back. It was uh, I was starting to get highly anxious, highly anxious with all of the uh, questions that started to pile up in our inbox. So I'm really, really excited to be back answering these questions about love, relationship, mental health um, and narcissism, of course. But before we do that, uh, earlier in this week, was a very, very special day to a very, very special lady of mine. My mom had her birthday. Uh, We celebrated it on Monday. So I want to say again, happy birthday to my mom, Alvina Denise Robinson. Um, I wouldn't be in this position that I'm in now without you. I appreciate you. And as I told you many a times, especially since Abigail has been here over the years, that um, it is wonderful to see everything come full circle in terms of um, life. Right. Um, there was there were times in which I was a knucklehead, as I've admitted in the past on the podcast, and I didn't quite um, understand the value of your love and your um, protection. I've now being a parent myself, I've, I've gotten that experience over tenfold um, and just seeing you and Abigail and Gabrielle interact with one another and engage with one another and seeing that love between the three of you is uh, second to none to me, mom. So I love you. I appreciate you. I thank you for being so tough, diligent, uh, resilient, all of that good stuff. And I am very, very proud to be your son. All right. With that being said, let's hop right into it, man. I know y'all didn't come to question and answers and not be ready for the quote of the week and all that good stuff. So, uh, you know, I got to shout out my lady, though. Love my mom. This quote, quote of the week this week, I should say, is your pain will disappear once it has finished teaching you. Again, that quote is, your pain will disappear once it has finished teaching you. And I actually heard this quote a couple of years ago when I shared it last year. Um, and I think this quote really, it, there's a lot of value in this quote when you spin it um, to the point where everything that happens to us happens for a reason. And I firmly believe that. I've said this on the podcast. And the idea of pain is to get the lesson from the pain, right? So if we experience X amount of pain, or if we even think we're experiencing X amount of pain or trauma, there's something that we're supposed to learn, or there's an area of growth within that, within that pain and within that, that traumatic experience. And I think that as human beings, when we experience trauma and pain, we have to learn the lesson. If we don't, it tends to repeat itself over time, right? So that's how you find people or you hear people say, oh, we, we're stuck or we don't feel like we can get past this barrier in life. And the reason it is is because they've not really assessed what the pain in that situation is and dealt with it and and treated it as a lesson. So once again, that quote, your pain will disappear once it has finished teaching you. Take it in, 
taking into consideration. Um, I know pain is a, a part of life, but there is a lesson in pain and trauma and difficult situations. All right, let's get into our relationship and mental health questions. Question number one, how do I stop making out with my significant other? Once again, that question is, how do I stop making out with my significant other? That's a very interesting question. Um, I've never been asked that question because what what happens in relationships is when you make out and you are intimate and you you're constantly touching and engaging with one another, it actually makes the relationship more um, lasting and it gives you more um, opportunities to to engage and have your needs met. What you're asking is to do the total opposite of that. So how do you stop doing it? Um, if it's something that your partner truly wants or your significant other truly wants, which honestly, I don't know why would they will want something like that um, in a relationship. If it's something that you truly are looking to stop and they truly want you to stop, I would invite you to um, every time you get the urge to make out with your partner or every time you get the urge to kind of interact or touch and be cuddly with your partner get an image of your head or something that absolutely turns you off, right? So um, an example that I've used in the past uh, with people who are in these situations where they're a little more intimate than their partner would like and they're looking to stop is to think of a food or something that you absolutely like that makes you sick to your stomach. And every time that you feel the need to interact or feel the need to go ahead and, and love on your partner is what I call it. Get that image in your head of the food that you don't like, or if you don't like smoking, that's another good one. Just anything that kind of ties into a deep rooted feeling in your stomach or a deep rooted feeling within your body that just makes you disgusted and makes you like, Ugh, I don't even want to go near that, or I don't even want to participate in something like that. Start to put those images in your head as you become more and more attracted to your partner. And what will happen is you'll notice over time that your attraction to your partner will be less because you're putting this image of something that you don't like in your head, as opposed to putting an image of um, becoming closer to your significant other in your head. With that being said, I do not feel like moving off this question again without making it abundantly clear. The quickest way to, well, I won't say the quickest way, one of the quickest ways to create distance in a relationship is to not have intimacy. So to not touch, to not make out, to not cuddle, those create a lot of distance within a relationship. So understand that you're doing this and you may have a, a adverse reaction and blow up in your face to the point where your partner does not even want to interact with you or does not want to be in a relationship with you because touch brings a relationship closer and not touching or not having any physical interactions just brings more separation into the relationship. Question number two, what experiences in life can you consider challenging and why? Once again, that question is, what experiences in life can you consider challenging and why? I think anytime that I get into a situation and I have an old belief that I have, like, so I have a belief that's a part of my subconscious thought process and I'm challenged with a new belief. And those situations really, really get me into kind of, um, I call it turmoil within from within, because what happens is I'm so used to doing things a certain way. And it, I, I'll actually give you guys an example. Um, one of growing up, growing into this coaching role, I should say, and even growing up, 
for that matter, one of the things that I was always told was like a woman is supposed to do this and a man is supposed to do that. Right? And so it was my upbringing was very gender specific, where it's like, OK, only a woman does these things and only a man does this thing. And there's no cross sectioning. As I became a relationship coach, I realized that those those gender roles or those roles don't technically exist. So as I started to kind of challenge myself and challenge myself within my relationship, I realized that that wasn't true, right? A woman can do just as much as a man can do within a relationship and vice versa, right? So much so that I literally believe growing up that a man should not clean or cook or do any of that stuff. Those roles were specific only to women. And now in my relationship, I love not cooking. I don't love doing that. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. But um, cleaning, like I love it. I really thoroughly enjoy cleaning, um, doing the dishes, sweeping and mopping the floor. Like I love that. It it brings me a sense of peace because I'm I'll use my wife's term. I'm a little OCD about things in terms of cleaning. So I like to clean a particular way and I like for things to be in a particular area after they're clean. So um, I love it. I love it. And I'm happy I, I got into a situation where my wife helped me challenge that belief system, because as you start to really challenge some of your old beliefs and challenge them with new beliefs that have presented to you, been presented to you, you'll find you'll find out that the world is a lot more gray than it is black and white. Right. And there's there's room to operate when we talk about greatness. Right. I mean, there's no yes, it's definitively this way or yes, it's definitively that way. That's not the way the world is shaped. And I think that people who continue to go on believing that the world is designed for this supposed to be this way or women should only do this and men should do that. um, They limit their beliefs and their limit. They limit their opportunities to create some lasting relationships, frankly. Question number three, my ex broke up with me, but texts me every day. What should I do? Once again, that question is my ex broke up with me, but texts me every day. I would just ask him to stop texting you. It seems like uh, he's in a spot where um, he's he broke up with you, but he's not sure that that's what he really wants. And um, that leaves you in limbo. Right? It leaves you in a position where you're thinking like, oh, well, you know, maybe he wants me or maybe he made a mistake or he thinks he made a mistake. I would take that element and aspect out of it. Um, if you broke up with you, I would create some distance depending upon kind of how long you guys were in a relationship together. Um, I would start to redesign my life in a way that I wanted to live it, right? So I would start to do more of the things that I wanted to do and that I enjoy doing because I really believe that in every single relationship, um, we compromise at least a small portion of ourselves in order to assimilate for the relationship, right? And when you break up, you feel lost and lonely because you've compromised so much in order to kind of fit the box that this person wanted you in. So I look at it as a good thing. Take this as an opportunity to develop and grow and continue to do the things that you enjoy doing. So that way, when you're open, when you open yourself up and you're um, interested in dating again or or seeing another person, you're seeing that person on your terms and you're not um, assimilating too much or compromising too much in order to be with them. All right. So just tell them, hey, you you're all set. Um, maybe he maybe in his mind he wanted to break up and then he regrets it now. But either way, I think that you're giving him too much leverage within that relationship. Right. I think that he if he wants to come back or he wants to relationship again, it should be on your terms. Question number four, 
Why is it so hard to walk away from a relationship even though you feel you should? Once again, that question is, why is it so hard to walk away from a relationship even though you feel you should? I think it's it's difficult to walk away from any relationship. And I don't mean just like um, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, whatever, like a, a interpersonal relationship. It's difficult to walk away from any relationship, in my personal opinion, because as human beings, we're so accustomed to being creatures of habit, right? And when I say we're accustomed to being creatures of habit, I mean, we just do what, we us- what we're used to doing, right? We, when we do like kind of going back to that question about what situations that get you in or what experiences in life that you get in that uh, are challenging and why, that's exactly the ex- explanation for this question as well, right? We get into situations and after a while, human beings are creatures of habit. So we just feel like this is how it should go, right? So even if, for example, you're in an abusive relationship, if you've been in an abusive relationship for a long period of time, your subconscious mind is telling you this is this is just what it is. This is how it should be. This is how life should be. So um, the abuse, emotional, physical, whatever it is, it's supposed to happen to you, right? Because you've been enduring it for so long. And I think that that's the type of situations that we get stuck in as human beings, especially when it comes to relationship, right? It's like, oh, well, um, this feels good to me, even if it's wrong and we know it's wrong psychologically, going back to the abuse piece. So let's say someone is abusing us physically or emotionally. Um, If we've been abused our entire life or we've had some sort of abuse um, situation that we've been in in our entire life, that is that is normal to us. That is comforting to us. And to get into a relationship where abuse is not occurring or abuse is not there, that can be scary. It can be just as scary as someone who's going from a relationship that's healthy to an abusive one. Right. And I think that we have to be careful about judging people when we talk about, oh, why can't you just leave or why can't this person just leave? It's not that easy, Um, especially when you spent years with a person and you become accustomed to their manipulation and abusive tactics. Right. It's tough. It's difficult because we're human beings of habit, um, which is why I always encourage people to do relationship assessments um, and kind of relationship inventories every couple of months. Because if you do every every three months, if you really assessed your relationships for what they were, it would make it easier to cut people off when it's time to cut people off, right? And it wouldn't be as difficult because you, you've got a history or a track record of this person kind of not being who you needed them to be throughout the relationship. And finally, question number five. What has experience taught you about marriage? Once again, that question is, what has experience taught you about marriage? That was probably one of the best questions that I've had since I started the Quality of Love podcast. Um, Because I've really, normally I'm like, okay, let me give the first response because it, it the first response or the gut feeling is generally kind of the most authentic response that you get out of somebody in my personal opinion. Um, But this one, like, I gave it the gut response to answer it, but then I'm like, the gut response is, it's just not enough. And after a while, I did a little bit of thinking over the past couple of days or so. And I think that the most um, interesting thing that I've found out about marriage period, like, especially ones that you really want to last is that they require a lot of work. Like (laughs) it's insane. The amount of work a marriage requires. Right. And, um, I don't, I I never considered it. First of all, 
you've heard me say this before in the past, but I've never considered getting married before um, meeting my wife and kind of her opening my eyes to different things and different belief system. But I never I, I couldn't I would really not be able to to express the degree of work that's required for a marriage. It's just it's different. It's difficult at times, um, but it all becomes worth it. Like for me, and that's the biggest thing, it all becomes worth it. So um, I know I went on a little bit of a soapbox there, but when we talk about um, experience with our marriage, my, I can only, and I can only speak for my marriage, of course, um, it's a lot of work, man. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, which is why I say that the foundation of any relationship should be unconditional acceptance, right? Meaning that no matter what, I'm going to accept this person for who they are, but also expect them to continue to work to become a better person. And I think that my wife and I certainly have that in our within our marriage, understanding that we're not perfect human beings and also understanding that we're, we're still in the process of working to become better for ourselves, um, for each other, and then, of course, for our children. So understanding that is huge. Work. So work, two big things, work, 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 work. Even if you don't think you need to work, look at look for something to work on within yourself so that you can be better for your marriage. Um, and then the other thing is unconditional acceptance. If you if you literally make unconditional acceptance the foundation of your marriage, I think your marriage has a good chance of being successful because you're looking at it like, okay, I know my partner's a knucklehead and I know my partner's gonna make mistakes from time to time, but I love them and they're gonna continue to try to push hard. So I got to continue to love and support him. And that's the situation that I find myself in with my wife. All right, let's touch on this insight from a former narcissist. Listen, this this is quickly becoming a really popular segment. As I said before, um, this narcissist stuff, it's 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 deep. Um, and I'm, I'm just happy to be able to provide for you guys a little bit of insight and answer your questions. So question number one. What will a cheating narcissist do if you threaten them? Once again, that question is, what will a cheating narcissist do if you threaten them? I've typically seen two responses from a narcissist um, that cheats and you threaten them. Right? Number one, they turn back into their charming self, so they revert back to their old ways. You might see some of the behaviors that they displayed early on within the relationship um, where they were all nice and charming and um, willing to meet your needs, all of those things. And they'll continue to display this behavior all the way up until they get you back into their fold. And then the other thing that I've seen is them become more overt with their behaviors, right? So when I say more overt, um, they typically get meaner, right? So they start to use more um, verbally abusive language. And if you really catch them, what they do is they try to turn your family against you. So if you've ever had a gentleman or a woman um, who you've caught cheating or you've caught doing something they they know they're, they were not supposed to do, excuse me. Um, and you called them out on it. They went to your mom or your dad or your sister, brother, family member, someone who was close to you, and they try to make you out to be the bad guy. That's what narcissists do. Um, so you typically see those two responses when you call out a cheating narcissist. Um, the other thing I would say is be careful because if this person is abusive, or has been abusive in the past to you, they probably will increase those behaviors as well because they don't like to be held accountable for their actions. So um, if you're going to accuse them and, and kind of hold them accountable for their actions, please be prepared for one of those responses for sure.
Question number two. How do a narcissist make you or forget about their abuse? Once again, that question is, how do narcissists make you forget about their abuse? Um, I Most commonly what I've seen out of a narcissistic individual um, in an effort to help you forget about the abuse that they've caused you is them to become extremely charming and willing to meet whatever need you have, right? So this is where they realize like, oh crap, uh, I overstepped myself or this person might actually leave me if I continue to display this behavior. So um, what they'd start to do is take you on a vacation or take you on trips and get you out more and emphasize how much they love you and need you and how big of a piece of their life you are. Um, all in an effort to, again, like you said, for, get you to forget their real behavior and forget the fact that they've abused you over a period of time. You could, you'll always know what the narcissist kind of where they are in this um, hoping that you forget kind of piece of things because they'll start to display behaviors that are nice. And then like randomly one day they'll just shift right back into being a mean narcissistic individual. And that's where the aha moment comes into play for you, where you can be like, okay, yeah, this person just, he was, he or she was displaying this behavior just to try to get me to um, let my defenses down or let my guard down. Be careful with that. It, It can be, it can be a slippery slope because I know deep down inside any human being that's in a relationship with a narcissistic individual wakes up hoping that one day this person will change. And in a lot of cases, that's just unrealistic for a narcissistic individual. Question number three, are some people narcissistic enablers? Once again, that question is, are some people narcissistic enablers? Absolutely. I would say 100%, but I'd also say this caveat, um, they don't always know that they're enabling a narcissistic individual, right? And here's, it's, again, you guys hear me say this term, the term, excuse me, slippery slope, excuse me, all the time. And here's where it can get tricky, right? Because let's say a mom, for example, a mom always wants what's best for their child. And sometimes they can have a bias towards their child that um, they want to see their child in the best light. So they're constantly um, propping their child up, telling them their child how well they're doing, how great they're doing, how fantastic they are. Nothing wrong with that. The issue is if you have a narcissistic child, that's exactly what they want to hear. They never want to hear that they're wrong. They never want to hear that it's their fault. It's always someone else's fault. And they always want to be able to direct their their anger or their um, really insecurities insecurities towards someone else. So if you're a parent in that situation, you're thinking one way and thinking one thing. And obviously the narcissistic child is thinking differently, right? So um, yes, there are people that enable narcissists, but I share that story with you to say that it's not always known, right? So they're not always doing it on purpose or they're not always um, putting themselves in a situation where they're purposely enabling this person in order to create this monster. Sometimes it happens subconsciously. And then there are times where it happens consciously, like especially think about groups of men um, or women for that matter, groups when narcissists are in groups, most of the time there are people within their group setting that are feeding them um, fuel for their narcissism to kind of grow and continue to expand. And finally, question number four, does it bother a narcissist to see his former significant other thriving? 
Once again, that question is, does it bother a narcissist to see his former significant other thriving? I would say, yeah, there, there's with narcissists, there's a there's a control element to them. Every narcissist has this control element um, where they want to control you. And if they can't control you directly. So, for example, once you broke up with them and now you're kind of thriving and doing your own thing, they want to be able to see you in the, in the worst light. Right. So or they want to be able to like log on to social media and your life is miserable and shambles and you are constantly in situations and positions in which you don't feel like you can succeed or you feel like you're stuck. That is what a narcissist wants to see most when you are thriving. That is the total opposite, right, of what they want to see. And it's it's definitely something that makes them jealous and bothers them. With that being said, though, I would not engage with them in any manner, um, letting them know that or expressing that because they'll never let you know that part of being a narcissist is being able to hide a lot of your behaviors really well. So I don't think that they'll ever be able to express to you that it bothers them that you're living your best life. Live it anyway. That's what I say. All right. That's it, guys. Man, I'm glad to be back. I appreciate everyone. This I got to share this, too. There's um, actually week four or five. I've been doing about five weeks of this. There's this Black Media Mogul Maker program that I am so excited to be a, a, a part of and involved in. Um, it's a combination of Syracuse University's Newhouse School, along with Bishop Ronald Dewberry's uh, media group, I believe. And man, I'm learning so much from these great people, Sean Bragnigan, um, Daniela, uh, Rebecca, all of these, uh, Amelia, all of these people are really, really showing me um, the power in being a creator. So I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you to all of those guys. I'm looking forward to making sure that we continue to, to learn new things, to maintain creative control as a creator, and ultimately bring our storytelling talents to the light, man. I'm so excited about it. Keep getting your questions in. I'll keep you guys posted on that black media mogul makers, let you know how that shakes out and finishes out. But right now I'm at a really um, excited place in life, man. I'm excited to see where the quality of love continues to go as it continues to grow. I'm excited to see where I continue to grow as I continue go as I continue to grow as well. Um, so with that being said, man, get those questions in. And remember, as always, the quality of love and relationships that you have in your life will determine the quality of your life. Peace and love.